0: screen, whose kids are these? Anybody know? Well, how do you know they're mine? There is a little family resemblance, isn't there? You know, we have been hinting at the last few weeks that God has made us in his image, and there's some implications for his identity and our identity in him and the reality of how we live. But as always, again, it starts with God himself. It starts with pursuing him. Today we want to look at what he has done in making us in his image and ask some questions along the way for understanding how it works and lay down a, a, a foundation really for future messages as we talk about what it means to. Be his image bearers. So let me pray for us because we want the Lord to inhabit this, this message. And then let's uh, get into it today. So God, I thank you for all the truth that we have heard and sung today. I do thank you that you made us in your image. And that you sent your son for us. I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit and stir us up. And help us to hear what you want to say to our hearts. Help us to grasp the truth that we need. And help us to respond in confidence. Respond in repentance, maybe. But Lord, we want to respond and worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. So, our brother Paul read for us out of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31 and verse 27 it says so God created mankind in his own image in the image of God he created them male and female he created them and at the very end when we get to verse 31 and he God looks at his creation he says and it is very good along the line he says of each day it's good it's good but when he gets to this part he says it's very good You see, we are made in the image of God. Mankind, men and women, are the crown of his creation. Created to have a relationship with him, to be his representatives here on earth in his stead, because we are made in his image. The God who created everything. And that is not true of other creatures, only of men and women who are created in his image. If you are human, you are in the image of the living God. And let me beg the question, so how are we created in the image of God? How would you answer that question if somebody asked you that question? And and honestly, it is a bit of a mystery, and it is a question that theologians have wrestled with for centuries. Maybe our first point would be to, well, our, our body. We're kind of like God in the sense of we can see, we can... God sees, we can hear, and God hears, and we can speak, and God speaks. But the thing about God, he really doesn't have a body. Jesus, in speaking to the woman at the well in John chapter uh, four twenty four, says God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So maybe we look to what we call, in theological terms, communicable attributes. Those attributes we share with God. Something like consciousness, a sense of self-awareness, or intelligence, or logic, or emotions, being able to feel things, sentience, if you will. A sense of morality, of right and wrong, communication with each other, with our God, having a soul or a spirit. All those things are certainly necessary for the mandate God gave us of ruling and stewarding this earth. But there's a problem. There's a problem with these things if we look and say, this is where the image of God is found. Number one, not all these attributes are exclusive to human beings. Number two, not all humans possess all these attributes in equal amount or sometimes not even at all. Just a few, just a few thoughts here, right? So consciousness... Is somebody in a coma? Conscience. Do they have a sense of self-awareness? They probably don't. And yet they are in the image of God. Intelligence or reason. Well, some animals have the ability to learn, to figure some things out. They can't, you know, think about high thoughts like, you know, the theory of relativity or, you know, argue between uh, Calvinism or Arminianism. But, you know, they can figure some things out. And The mentally impaired or the toddler, how much reason do they have? Emotions or sentience. Yeah. You know, humans feel emotions. But you know what? Dogs feel emotions. Horses feel emotions. Communication. Yeah. Yeah, we communicate with each other. But birds do that as well. How about a sense of morality, a right or wrong? Does a fetus... Does an unborn baby have a sense of morality? A soul or a spirit? Well, Ecclesiastes 3.12 tells us that animals have a type of soul. Here's my point. The image of God in human beings is not missing if due to, due to some active function, functions being absent. In those who are physically or mentally impaired, or a person in a coma. Or a baby developing in the womb. Or a person with Alzheimer's. All possess the image of God. And it's not a progressive thing. It's not as you move into possessing the image of God. No, it's true because he has made us in his image. And maybe this sounds like circular reasoning. But it's all wrapped up in the little preposition in. He made us In his image. It denotes function. That we are his image bearers. We are his imagers, if you will. So every person that you meet is an image bearer, whether they're a devout Christian or they're a staunch atheist. And that's true whether that can be fully lived out on this side of heaven or not. Because we serve a God who is a savior, and he says, behold, I make all things new. And this side of heaven is not all there is. And he will make everything new. But because we are made in his image, it is the status, it is the dignity that we hold to be his imagers. But as we look around at our world, we may say, okay, if God is perfect and we are in his image, why Are things so messed up with His image bearers? Why is there so much pain, so much hurt? Well, sin has distorted the image of God in us. the failure of the first man and woman not to believe God when He gave them command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Instead, they decided to believe Satan, who comes to them in the form of a snake, God was holding out on them, that God was not telling them the truth. And in their disobedience, they discovered that they were naked, they were exposed, and they became alienated from a holy God, and sin and death enters into this world. We also call it the fall. And the effects of that affects every facet of our lives, whether that's selfishness in the heart Conflict between ourselves and each other, conflict between ourselves and our God. And it brought death. It brought decay. It brought disease. It brought deformity and it brought disasters, whether they were human made or they're, they're natural. But here's the thing so we might think, well, then the image is destroyed. Not so. If you know the, the biblical narrative, God gets to the point where man's thoughts are only evil all the time. So he brings a flood. And he wipes out all of creation, save for Noah and his family and all those creatures in the ark. And then, so, you know, sin was great. But the image of God remains because in Genesis nine six, when they come out of the ark, this he says this God says this: Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood be shed. For the image of God, for in the image of God uh, has made him God made man. Basically, saying look, the image of God has not been destroyed. It's distorted, but it remains. So in this, play, in this passage, he's saying, if you wantonly kill a man who's made in the image of God, it is an affront to God. It's like you're killing the image of God himself. That's how strong that presence of God's likeness is. And the justice for that is the forfeiture of your life. Now, I'm not going down a, a, a trail of capital punishment today. But I'm also glad that God does not always give us what we deserve. But let's look at these things here. We're made in in God's image. We're created to reflect His image and have dominion and stewardship over creation, yet we're warped by sin. And we become dysfunctional to image or reflect Him properly. You know, in my garage... I have a beautiful 1980s Trek mountain bike. It's up in the corner. It's what I rode during college. And it's, it's a beautiful bike. The only problem is the back wheel is bent. And so that wheel will not rotate truly through the frame. In fact, it rubs up against itself. And trying to rub, trying to pedal that thing is... A mountain of effort. It is broken. It's dysfunctional and it cannot fix itself. In many ways we're like that bike. You know that track is no less a track just because that wheel is bent but it's dysfunctional. Even so we are made in the image of God. We're no less in the image of God yet we are bent and distorted by sin. Often rubbing against up about how we were even created and made. And we cannot fix ourselves. Even if we try, we end up going down wrong pathways to try and do it. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. Isaiah 53.6, starting the first half of the verse says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And then the end of it is, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all upon him. If we look at salvation history, God gives us his law. If you, read the, if you read the Old Testament, there are 613 commands there. We just can't follow them. It's not our ability. And the Apostle Paul sums it up like this in speaking to the Ephesians. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at now work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You know, interestingly enough, I was in, a devotional by Paul David Tripp called New Morning Mercies. And these words stuck out to me. It says, we are hopelessly ensnared by sin, we are tragically guilty before God, and completely unable to help ourselves. But God, but God, who made us in His image, has a vested interest in restoring that image. And so God redeems His image in us by becoming one of us. God sends His Son to rescue us, the Lord Jesus Christ, who put on flesh, became a man, and He lives this life. He is God, and yet He puts on flesh to dwell among us. Now here's here's a question, maybe some of you have if Jesus is made like us in our humanity, how does he escape the sin nature? How does he escape not having that transferred to him and being guilty of the sin of Adam, even if you will? The answer is Christmas, the virgin birth. You see, the sin nature is transferred from one sinful man to another, the seed of man. But Jesus is not the seed of man. He's the seed of the Holy Spirit. That's why that doctrine is important. That Jesus escapes that. And that he was tempted, as Hebrews 4, verse 15 says, he was tempted like us in every way, yet he was without sin. Jesus the God-man. So what does it say that God values us so much That he puts on flesh and enters into creation to save us. He doesn't do that for any other creation. He doesn't do that for seagulls. He doesn't do that for ants. He doesn't do it for angels. In fact, the first two chapters of Hebrews talk about that. But he is as the Son of God. It says he is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 17. And Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Our reference point for what God is like on earth and how we should reflect that image is found in Jesus. That's who we should be looking to, and that's why he's called the author and perfecter of our faith. Pragmatically, he lives this life in perfect obedience to the Father, a life that neither Adam nor we could live. We're unable to do so. And Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And legally, in relation to a holy God, he offers himself as an atoning sacrifice for these sinful image bearers, you and me. This is what Romans says about it, chapter 3, verses 25 through 26. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and to be the one who justifies those who put their faith in Jesus. See, God does not leave justice undone, but he satisfies his justice as the sinless Son of God goes to the cross for us. And powerfully, he defeats death to vindicate his claims as being the Son of God and being the Messiah, and by faith, because of what he has done, it gives us eternal life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And that was vindicated by his Resurrection, a very public thing. So those are all the external things that God has done to restore us to His image. But many of you know this. To really come to faith in Christ is to have a spiritual rebirth. As Jesus would say, to be born again. Or to be a new creation If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, as 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says. God not only has been at work externally, but he starts his work internally as we have put our faith in Christ. And that is not true. It is not true of you unless you have put your faith in Christ. You can believe it intellectually, but if you've not received that by faith, It is not true view. But he starts to change us, starts to restore us, starts a restoration project, if you will. The Apostle Paul, he talks about putting on the new self, as faith in Christ in Colossians 3.10 says, and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. So he is renewing us in the image of God, but number two, the Father is shaping us specifically and conforming us to His Son, as He says in Romans 8.29. For those God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He, speaking of Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So, being in a decaying and distorted, dysfunctional state to being restored reborn, and to become in the character of Christ. It's kind of like this. You see at the top, this is where we are on our own. This Mustang Mach 1. It's still in the image that was originally intended by its designer, but it's dysfunctional. It's not working. It might be able to roll, might be able to do a few things, but It's not how the Creator intended. And it can't fix itself until somebody comes and restores it. That's what God is doing in us. So I have to ask the question, I don't know where everyone is at here today, but you are made in the image of God, whoever you are. But have you come to the one who wants to fully restore you? Because you can't do it yourself. You don't have the power. You don't have the strength. And you are infected by a disease called sin. And you're unable to make the changes. You're unable to conform yourself to the image of God. And by the way, you're guilty. You're guilty of sin. And God's punishment is death. But Jesus took upon himself that punishment have you put your your faith in the one who can truly restore you, You you need Christ you need Jesus to come and change you, you need Jesus to come and give you life that you don't have I needed that and he's still making me into the image of Jesus it's a process day in and day out, but it's his process that he started and I praise God for that John, First John, chapter 10, verses 5, chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. It says, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and that life in, is in his Son. And this is a very black and white statement. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. That's not my statement. That is a statement of God through his word, through his Holy Spirit, that you can have life in him or you can choose not to, but you will never be what God intended you to be in His image until you have put your faith in Christ. So maybe that's something you want to do today. And I want to give you that opportunity. And so for a moment, I just want to, I want to pray for you because maybe you're realizing, hey, I, I don't meet God's standard. Hey, I can't do this myself. But I want to receive what God has done for me. So let me just pray for you for a moment here and then we'll continue and finish up our message today. Lord Jesus, I realize I'm like everybody and that I have fallen short of your glory. And I realize that the wages of sin, of my sin, is death. That is eternal separation. But I... I'm coming to realize also what you've done for me. By living a life I could not in perfect obedience to the Father. That you went to the cross for me because you loved me to redeem me. And you rose from the dead to give me life I don't have. So I surrender, Lord Jesus, come into my life. My friend, the Word of God says, to as many as received him, even those who believe in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. God keeps his word. And if you receive that today, you are receiving the life that only Jesus can give. So maybe in your heart you should need to ask, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Change me. Make me yours. I receive what you've done for me on the cross and arising from the dead. Help me to turn to You and turn away from my own ways and seek Your face. And I thank You, Jesus, because You keep Your Word. And it's in Your name I pray these things. Amen. So the last point. Becoming a full image bearer or imager of God. Well, again, it it does start with Jesus. If you don't have Christ, it's a non-starter. Okay? So that's where it starts. But number two, to abide in him. To be connected with him. There Jesus is saying, look, I am, I'm the vine. You're the branches. You can't operate without me. I need to be intimately connected to you. On a daily basis, that means being in his word. That means being in prayer and being in dependence upon him. What he is doing in us and through us. And number two, Christ needs to become your identity. Christ needs to become your identity. Again, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone, any man, any woman is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Your identity doesn't need to be in your sin, and your past failure, because Christ has forgiven you. Your identity shouldn't be also in maybe your politics or your, or your nationality. Sometimes we put forth the kingdom of, of, of earth before the kingdom of God. And it can't be in our job and in our hobbies, what we do. You know what? Sometimes that stuff gets taken away. But your identity is always in Christ. If you are in Christ, He is your life. He is your identity, and He is the one who makes you a new creation. And along with that, you need to understand that you are under new management. You're not living for this world anymore. I love what 2 Corinthians 5.15 says. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, I think sometimes there's a misnomer in thinking that Christianity is a self-help program. If I just put my faith in Jesus, he'll give me what I want. He'll make me healthy, wealthy, and wise. Yes, there's blessing in following Jesus. But he, he brings us into his body to build his kingdom, not just to build our own little kingdoms. And within that, we also need to trust God over our own feelings and our own wisdom. When God reveals something to us in his word that just seems to jam our natural gears, we need to say, okay, God, you know better than me. And this is going to sound so Sunday school, but it is so true. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes but fear the Lord and turn away from evil for it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. See, sometimes God is telling us to do something that our natural flesh says, "Uh uh-uh, no way, God. And I think one of the easiest things to look at is It's forgiveness, right? When we've been hurt by somebody and we just want to hold a grudge, we want to get back at them. When God says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That does not necessarily mean you just become a doormat and let them do whatever they want, but it means you are not looking to take vengeance. You're saying, Lord, I want them to repent because if they don't, they're going to experience your wrath. So God is, you know, we're trusting what He says rather than what what we think or what we feel or what we we think is the right idea. We are not smarter than God. And within that, to learn to treasure Christ, to treasure the gospel, and know that He is our life. The Apostle Paul says it like this, and he was a man who had a lot going on for him in his life. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider them as lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of the knowledge of Christ Jesus as Lord. For those for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them as garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which uh, through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Is Christ your life? If you lost it all, would you be able to say, not, not without a few tears, but within, with hope, but I have Christ. I lost my health, but I have Christ. I lost my family, but I have Christ. I lost my wealth, but I have Christ, because He is our life, and He is our righteousness. Many of you who have been here for years, have heard me proclaim Psalm sixteen two, because I think it's been so true. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, and apart from you I have no good thing. We need to know that deep down within us, and stop looking for life in the creation, and look for it in the Creator. And within that not just have the knowledge of what Christ has done but to know that He comes to dwell within us and wants to live His life through us. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. You see, You and I cannot in the flesh live the life that God is calling us to. We can't be his imagers. We have to say, Jesus, you dwell within me, and you have to live that out through me. And that is is a prayer every day. Jesus, come and live the life that I can't live in my flesh. You are in me. I believe that you want to show your life in me and through me, and he will. But here's the other thing, too, within all of this. Remember, you are made in his image. And the people around you are made in his image. Start asking for eyes to see them with the eyes that Jesus sees them with. See them as potential family members, even though they might be far away from him. Second Corinthians 5.16 says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly standpoint, viewpoint, though we once regarded Christ in this way we do so no no longer. See people who we disagree with, with the eyes of Christ. To see people that are different with us, than us, with the eyes of Christ. To see those who we like, and we get along with, and have a lot in common with, but don't have Christ, with the eyes of Christ. Have eyes to say, Lord, I want to see them and I want to be your representative to them. Your representative of grace to them. Your representative of life to them. Use me somehow. He's the change agent, but somehow to use us. And when we have those moments to tell people about the hope that we have within us, whether people agree with us or disagree with us, to do it in a gentle and respectful way. The spirit of the age right now is to just trash everybody. To, to tell some people you disagree with, you're all wet and I'm canceling you. That is not the spirit of Christ. And we need to let Christ be reigning in us. And here's another thing. We need to be careful not to expect non-believers to act like believers. Because they are blind. They are blind by the spirit of this age. The Apostle Paul, even writing pragmatically to the church in Corinth, said, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, Not at all meaning the people of this world who are moral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister who is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Again, the people of this world who are not following Christ, they are blinded. They're blinded by the God of the sage. We need to have the heart of Christ for them. Pray that those blinders will be removed. And this begins with God and it ends with God. Live in hope of Christ's return that this image that God put in us will be fully restored in every respect. Philippians three, twenty through 21 But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior. From there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, listen to this, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. I don't know about you, but I long for that day. Not only just my physical body being restored, but my heart and mind, my old nature completely destroyed and wanting nothing but what Christ wants, nothing but what the Father wants. So people, we have been made in God's image. And God is in the process of a radical redemption plan to restore his image in men and women. And we who put our faith in Christ, we are being restored. Sometimes that's a little bit uncomfortable, and God is changing us. And we are called to be salt and light in this world. This world of darkness. But also called to recognize the image of God in everyone around us. And that none is beyond his restoring hand. So may God give us grace. Knowing that we are created in the image of God. And that God wants to restore the image of God in those around us. May he do his will within us. Now we're going to head into a time of really celebrating what Christ has done to restore that image. He put on flesh. He did dwell among us. And then he painfully went to the cross to pay our penalty and rise from the dead to give us victory. Here at the Breen Community Church, we practice the Lord's Supper or Communion We practice open communion. That means if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're welcome at this table. It's not my table. It's not the table of the Breen Community Church. It's the table of the Lord, and He welcomes you here. If you've not put your faith in Christ, I would encourage you just to let the elements pass down the row, because in taking it, you'd be saying something that is not true of you yet. But I pray it will be true of you soon. And that won't do you any good. And, And Parents here, if you are convinced that your child has indeed put their faith in Christ, they are welcome to take it. But if you think no, you're the gatekeeper on that, and you can have a conversation with the kids later. But that's how we're going to do this today. And we always come thoughtfully because we know that our sin put the Lord Jesus on the cross. So the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man, a woman ought to examine themselves before he eats and drinks the bread, he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. And when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So our sister Joy is going to play softly in the background, and let's just take a moment to say, Lord, search my heart. Show me where I am out of sorts with you. Show me where I am allowing this world, or I'm allowing the distortion of sin to take me down a different pathway. And then we can confess our sin and then take him on the promise that if we confess our sin, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then we can continue in this celebration of what God has done to restore us in his image.